our reading is Psalm 146, page 632 of the Church Bibles. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning. Here we go. The final of the four sermons in the Psalms. Pray in all circumstances. Teresa has hinted at uh, the series already. We've um, looked at three Psalms. This is the fourth. We looked at Psalm 3 a few weeks ago where we learned to pray when under pressure. We looked at Psalm 25, that acrostic Psalm, and we learned that uh, the Lord guides us through his word, a prayer for guidance. And then last week, Bart took us through Psalm 42, which is a prayer when we're feeling downcast in a desert place. Now, this morning, we're doing the Psalm of Praise, Psalm 146. Hopefully, you've still got it open at uh, page 632. And it's one of five Psalms at the end of the Psalter, um, which are interesting psalms. If you look at your footnotes, always good to look at your footnotes at the bottom of the page, page 3632, you'll see a note A. Praise the Lord is to say... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not very um, emphatic. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. And it is this psalm, like the other five, the other four that make up the five are psalm that have if you like, a hallelujah sandwich approach. They begin with hallelujah, they end with hallelujah. What a feast. Five hallelujah sandwiches. That sounds really good. Some of the commentators call this section of the Psalms the hallelujah chorus. If I hear the word hallelujah chorus, I think of Handel's Messiah, the the great oratorio. And when I think of Handel's Messiah, I think of Christmas. And good news to everybody, Handel's Messiah is not just for Christmas. It is great all the year round. And in the same way, Psalms of praise are not just for special days, they are for any day of the year. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So let's uh, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our guide, and your glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Amen. So we'll start uh, with praise the Lord, verse 1. The psalmist is telling people, he's exhorting people to praise the Lord. And he's also telling himself to praise the Lord. He says, I will praise the Lord with my soul, with my whole person. It's not just a small thing, it's a big thing. I will praise God with my whole being. And then he makes an incredible resolution in verse 2. He says, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. This is, this is quite a resolution to have. And it shows this is a mature believer who's not governed by the mood of the moment where he's feeling good or bad. But this believer in the Lord has a maturity that enables him to see the Lord working in everything, however well or badly life is going. And this, uh, this, when I was preparing this, I was um, reminded of a time when I started teaching. I taught in a boys' school in Hertfordshire, and they wanted to know a bit about me so they could have a bit of banter. And they asked me, Who, which team do you support? And uh, I said, well, I support Chelsea. And they said, sir, do you really support Chelsea? Or do you follow Chelsea? And that caught me because I thought I was a supporter, but I, technically I'm only a follower. I watch, and I, I watch the matches on telly, I follow the scores on, on, um, online, but they said, sir, you don't go to matches. We, we go to matches, we support Spurs. We're, we are supporters, we're not just followers, we're supporters. And more than that, we are true supporters because we will chant and we will sing during the match no matter what's happening. And we'll tell the opposition, you only sing when you're winning. We sing if we're winning or not. We are true supporters. And that really, as I say, that struck me and it's remained with me because it's a danger we have as Christians. We'll only sing when we feel like we're winning in life. But this is not what the psalmist says we should be doing. We should be praising God whether we're winning or whether we're not. So is your praise of the Lord occasional? Do you switch it on when things feel good and switch it off when things feel bad? Or do you look beyond your immediate circumstances to the Lord and the Lord's work? So an opening set of words that really challenged me, do I sing to the Lord only when I'm winning? Or do I sing to the Lord no matter what situation I find myself in? Let's move on. Verses three and four. Do you put your trust, do not put your trust, sorry. Do not put your trust in princes. Okay. Princes can mean anyone who has power, who has influence, that gets things done. Now, there's nothing wrong with having people who get things done, and we often use them. But how much do we trust in them? God uses human beings to get things done most of the time. That's the way he works through human agency. But their help, we must remember their help that they give us is limited. Okay? And they certainly can't save us. And that's what he reminds us of. They cannot bring us salvation. Okay? It says, um, I will trust the Lord. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. They can help us, but ultimately they will fail us in some way. They will either move away or they will stop helping us because they're unable to or they'll not want to. Human beings can help but they cannot save and their help is limited. So we must not trust in them. And in that 
sort of instruction, we'll not be disappointed when people let us down or when people move away or when people um, go to be with the Lord. We will not be disappointed. We will understand that they, like us, we are humans. The, the Hebrew talks about them going back to the earth. We are earthlings and we return to the earth. We die and we therefore cannot be the objects of supreme trust. So the psalmist says, do not trust in princes. Ultimately, they will let you down. Who should you trust in? You should trust and put your hope in the Lord. The Lord is eternal and he is worthy of our praise and he's worthy of our trust. So the psalmist is contrasting the Lord with people on earth who have power at the moment. That power is temporary. It won't be there forever, but the Lord will be there forever. Put your trust in the Lord. And the psalmist is very, very logical. He says, you put your trust in someone who has power, but having power is not enough. You should put your trust in someone who has power and exercises that power in a consistent and predictable way. And not only that, they exercise that power in a predictable and reasonable way, in a way that is righteous and just. So trust in, in the Lord. He is all-powerful. His ways are known to us, and he is righteous and just. Therefore, we can put our trust in him. And that's what the psalmist tells us and puts forward to us in these verses. If you look at um, verse 5, blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, whose hope is in the Lord. He is faithful and he upholds the cause of the oppressed and he will therefore be the one we trust. So the question is, how do we see the Lord's power? How do we see the Lord's faithfulness? It says in verse six, he is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, He remains faithful forever. So, the Lord's power is shown. His omnipotence is shown in creation. If you want to see the Lord is powerful, look at creation. Look at the world that's been created, the heavens and the earth and everything within them. I suspect you'll be watching Planet Earth 3. Yeah. Compulsory viewing for a Sunday night. Look at that. You will see the power of the Lord in creation. He has power He is to be trusted. And that power is exercised faithfully. Daily the sun rises and the sun sets. The seasons come, the seasons go. The Lord is to be trusted. He is faithful. Trust in the Lord. And then we're told the Lord is just and righteous. In, um, in the NIV, the phrase that they use is, in verse 7, he says he upholds the cause of the oppressed. You know, I have a certain uh, affinity with the ESV. It, it probably is less readable, but it's more accurate. They say in the ESV, that section is, he executes justice. The Lord executes justice. Now, there's a word in Hebrew called mispah that means justice, and it has two aspects to it. The Lord will frustrate the wicked. That's the negative aspect of justice. But the Lord will care for the oppressed, the weak, and the vulnerable. That is the positive aspect of justice. The Lord is just, and he is righteous. Therefore, trust in the Lord. So the psalmist has said, the Lord is powerful. The Lord's ways are faithful and predictable. The Lord is just and righteous. 
Therefore you should trust in him and not in princes. These are quite powerful claims the psalmist is giving. Don't know if you've seen this on, online. BBC Verify. Yeah. I, I like it, probably because I'm an ex-teacher. And it seeks to, to examine claims made by different people and um, different organisations about what's going on in the world. Now, some people might find what the psalmist is claiming a little bit tough to, to take on board and to reconcile with their own experiences and their own observations. Uh, we won't touch on creation. I mean, that people would say, maybe I can see God in creation, maybe I can't. But they, could, they would say, even if God did create the world, I can't see, some people say, I can't see evidence of him being active within it. All they see around them is injustice, inequality, and frequent humanitarian crisis. So for many people, the psalmist claims seem hard to reconcile with what they experience. Now, with this to remind ourselves, this psalmist knows the Lord. He's a mature believer, and he can see through the immediate circumstances and the world situation and see the Lord at work. Now, what else can we say apart from mature believers? Theologians would say, remember the world is a world that has fallen, that people have departed from God, and the injustice and the things that we're seeing are, are working out of that decision by humankind to depart from the Lord. And theologians would also say, um, if you look, you could actually see God is continually working in the world by his grace, but what he does sort of stops evil, but he also allows human freedom. So given human freedom, this is the Lord is still working. He's not left the world. He's still working, but he's limiting evil. He's not stopping it because he's allowed human freedom. So that's something to talk about over coffee. I'll leave that for now. But I want to also say the world can see the Lord at work through his church dealing with injustice and oppression and the vulnerable. Tim Keller preached on this psalm a long time ago. And um, <clears throat> he said something, and he said, I've got to be very careful the way I say this because I don't want to be misunderstood. And he said this, and I'll share it with you. He said, the world sees us sharing our faith and they only see us recruiting. When the world sees evangelism, they see, cynically, they see it as recruiting exercise. But Keller says, when, we, when they see us pouring ourselves out for the poor, they get a little glimpse of the glory of God. Keller says that cynicism somehow begins to fall away when they see the church active in the world, looking after the oppressed and the vulnerable. Now, he was very careful about this because he didn't want people to think, well, we'll stop evangelizing, we'll start doing social gospel. But nor was he wanting people to think, let's not do any social concern at all. He's saying there needs to be social concern as well as evangelism. So the world can see the Lord at work through us helping the vulnerable, the oppressed people around us. So that's something that Keller challenged me on. You know, we are, we are here to make disciples, but we should also be aware of the world and the world's needs around us. And in fact, Jesus' ministry on earth embodied God's reign. We see Jesus 
caring for the vulnerable, the poor, the sick, the suffering, and through that, God's glory was revealed. What Jesus did visibly, the Lord does spiritually. Now let's look at the, the list. There's about eight things at the end of the psalm that the Lord cares about. He upholds the oppressed, he gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free, the Lord gives sight to the blind, he lifts up those who have bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the wicked. Now, a very um, well-known preacher and commentator over 100 years ago said this about the psalm. He said, all these classes, of, these eight classes I've just read out, these affected people are meant to be regarded literally. They are around us. These people are around us. They were around in Jesus' time. But it is possible they may have a, a wider meaning and be intended to hint at the spiritual bond in bondage, blindness, and adjectness. Agi- can't say that word. Alexander McLean said that. And you can see there could be a spiritual dimension to these conditions. And I just want to turn briefly to Luke chapter 4. If you turn with me, please, I'd like to hear the rustle of paper. Turn to Luke 4, I'll just get the reference back up. Luke 4, 16 to 21. I'm going to find it now. And I'll read it to us. Okay, verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So these words in Psalm 146 could be seen as spiritual condition, not just physical, material conditions, but spiritual conditions of people. So it could be read as eight different groups being described in Psalm 146. Or it could be eight ways of looking at the same people and their spiritual condition. People who realise they're slaves to sin, people who realise they hunger after righteousness, who see themselves as spiritually blind, as alienated from God, burdened and heavy laden, and seeking to know God the Father. God showed his care for them by sending Jesus. That care for us as Christians by sending Jesus. And this is another way in which the passage can be understood. It can be understood as literal or as spiritual and both have relevance to us. So, let's move on to the final verse. What does this mean, all this mean? Do we acknowledge the Lord's sovereignty? Do we see the Lord at work 
despite our immediate situation, our immediate circumstances. When this psalm was being written, the psalmist would have been living in Judea or Israel, and it would have been a very different place to the great times of David. It was written around the time of the return from the exile. The, um, the people had been scattered, God's people had been scattered. They had no king. The temple was a small-scale affair, and the people were subjects of foreign empires. And yet the psalmist sees through the immediate situation and praises the Lord in every circumstance. So, do we see God's eternal power in the world? Do we acknowledge his faithfulness? Do we see him as a just and righteous Lord who will come to set all things right? We just have to see through the immediate problems and await upon him and acknowledge him as our sovereign. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the challenges it gives, for the difficult issues it raises, the the difficulty of sometimes praising you when things are going badly. Help us, Lord, to praise you and to see through the immediate and to not just be guided by feelings, but by our trust in you, the all-powerful, faithful and righteous Lord. Be with us in the week ahead as we try to put this into practice and we try to follow you. Amen.